0: I'm Lane. And I'm Sheris. We are two certified clinicians who are obsessed with neuroscience and learning
1: all the secrets behind the power of our brains. From empathy to racism, sickness, time, and much more, we're here to talk about why our brains do the things they do and how to use our minds to become happier and healthier people through the power of knowing more. While it's easy to get lost in the science, we'll do our best to make these topics easy to digest so that you can better understand your brain and no longer be controlled by its functions.
0: The more we understand about our brain, the more control we get over how we think and feel and thus, the more we empower ourselves to live the lives we want and positively impact others. This is the Brain Blown Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Brain Blown podcast. Throughout this podcast, we've been talking about not only who we are because of our brains, but also who we are because of relationships. Contrary to what we've been told about the need to be independent, what we really need to survive and thrive is connection with others. If we're not in relationships, we are prey especially as infants. And our first relationships in life will not only shape our brain, but ultimately change who we become and influence the relationships we gravitate towards later in life. But it's not only outside relationships that get affected. It also heavily affects how we are in relationship with ourselves.
0: We don't often think about being in relationship with ourselves, right? We don't even think about even what that means, but the relationship that we have with ourselves is really what our mental health is. It's it's how we feel about ourselves and who we are and the world and others. It is having a good relationship with yourself helps you have a good grounded sense of who you are, a good ability to walk through the world resilient, a good ability to balance the negative things that come into your life. That's, in a sense, mental
1: wellness. Yes? Absolutely. And when I think of relationships with ourselves, too, we're always in dialogue with ourselves. There's that voice in your head that you're always talking to.
0: The constant mental chatter that so many people have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's how that mental chatter sounds that can really affect our mental wellness. Mm, and it is, it is interesting. The main part of the research for this particular episode was a book by Dan Siegel. And Dan Siegel has spoken pretty openly about how he talked with 65,000 mental health professionals about what mental health was. Not mental illness, but what mental health was. And if anybody had ever gotten any understanding or lessons on it. And 95% replied, no. Whoa. We focus a lot on the negative. Honestly, the side effects of not having a good mental relationship with ourselves. Yeah. And I think we spend a lot of time in society trying to quote unquote treat that without ever stopping to pause and say, what is mental health? What does mental wellness look like?
1: How can you take preventative measures rather than just trying to fix it when things go south.
0: Absolutely. And there is this absolutely cool ability that gives us the tools to rewire and change our brain purposefully, which is incredibly powerful. We can completely rewire so much of our brain with conscious action. So this is the neuroscience of mindfulness.
1: As we always start, we'll first dive into what this is and then also talk about it from a neuroscience level. And I think this will be a really special episode because most people see mindfulness as... A buzzword. A, yes, a buzzword, a psychology sort of thing, a wishy-washy, woo-woo. Absolutely. Has no effect on your brain or your functions whatsoever. But, but in this episode... What we'll be talking about is how that's not the case. And mindfulness is actually an action that rewires
0: your brain. And we'll talk about how that happens. Yeah, because oftentimes we do confuse it with meditation. And although they're connected, they're not exactly the same. But you're right. I think it's been overused to the point where we don't even know what it is anymore.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Let's dive into this. Yeah.
0: So let's start there. So we'll give a base Oxford Dictionary definition to start. Oxford defines it as the quality or state of being consciously aware of something. a Mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment. Brown and Ryan define it as something derived from Asian contemplative traditions. It's the observation of experiences without evaluating or judging. Dan Siegel, who I mentioned was a good chunk of the research for this podcast, says mindfulness in its most general sense is about waking up from a life on automatic and being sensitive to the novelty in our everyday experiences. It's more than simply just being aware. It's shifting from automatic to manual, from mindless to present. And it is what makes change possible. Because we focus the attention of the mind, we can shape the brain. So let's dig a little deeper into kind of what all of those are. Cool. When we think about being consciously aware of something That's present a lot of different places. Mindfulness awareness can be found in a lot of existing pieces of society. It can be found in yoga, for example, is is one a lot of people think of. Mm -hmm. Tai Chi, meditation that we've already mentioned, prayer is one of them. Mm -hmm. All of which are about focusing the mind on the moment, often using a common focus on a center of breath. Sure. So why does this matter? When we talk about shifting from automatic to manual, from mindless to present, Think about the number of times we go about the world without thinking about what we're doing. Eating, driving, showering. How many times have you showered and thought about what you should have said two years ago, for example?
1: (laughs) Yeah, accurate.
0: Our brain lets us do this on autopilot. We've got the ability to multitask, right? So the cool thing is I can go and take my dog for a walk and be totally focused and thinking about a conversation I had or want to have with my coworker and I don't trip and fall. I can I can still do exactly what I need to do, right? Sure. We can do this. And and it's not to say that this is always bad. It is good sometimes to think through things, to process, to think about how we want to react to things. It's good to daydream. It's great to daydream. But like everything, it's very easy to do too much of it and to do this unconsciously to our detriment.
1: Yes, I feel like I've actually been falling into a sort of rut the past few days. So this episode is going to be incredible for me. But I feel like I've been doing a lot of mindless stuff, mindless scrolling, working so hard that I need to just turn off my brain. But I do that by distracting myself with other things like binge watching TV or something like that. And I feel like I'm not getting the sort of rest that I need to feel like I've gotten better.
0: Well, and I don't think you're alone. A lot of us are still talking about, you know, what life looks like post-pandemic. And pandemic meant that a lot of us did a lot of mindless activities. Yeah. It was very hard to be present in the moment when the moment was not a great place to be. I don't think you're in any way, shape, or form alone. In fact, I was really grateful with the idea of this episode because it's really brought me back to practice that I have relaxed on actually a little more during the pandemic and that has such an incredible value to me and so it brought that back to how how much I see improvement in my life when I do this mm-hmm. definitely everything is about kind of balance right and if we do so much that's mindless we can sometimes feel numb or dead inside this can definitely have negative side effects when we do too much of it mm-hmm it can also cause honestly very knee-jerk reactions. It as Dan Siegel says, a cascading of reinforcing mindlessness can create a world of thoughtless interactions with cruelty and destruction.
1: This may be a daring thing to say, but does that quote kind of reference our life on the internet? Is it how of how we'll just have so much mindless interactions with Other people will just scroll to no end, finding just following the next one minute video and see something, respond to it and respond to it without necessarily thinking it through. Yes. Is that what ultimately leads to like these thoughtless interactions?
0: It isn't just thoughtless interactions with others. Actually, it's also thoughtless interactions with ourselves is what this mindlessness can lead to. Mm. So let's say I'm back to going on a walk with my dog. Right. I can go on a walk with my dog and be consistently just thinking about an interaction that I have with a coworker, right? But well, let's go back to our first episode. I'm walking along and I see a stick and I jump, right? Yeah. Let's take it further. I am not the most graceful individual. So if I jump when I see a stick, it's entirely possible that I'm going to fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could land on my knee, right? I could feel an intense amount of pain. The brain will then start to feed me, why am I so dumb? Why did I just jump at a stick? What is wrong with me? Oh my God, I'm such a klutz. Right? Mm -hmm. That is not uncommon chatter. And so that's because I am operating in a knee jerk reaction and I'm letting that cascade of information occur what our brain is doing right our brain does some dumb things to try to keep us alive that's kind of where this whole podcast kind of came from Mm -hmm. was talking about the stupid things our brain does and why we have to deal with them if you will right and a lot of them are focused on I repeat this a lot but your brain does not want you to be happy your brain wants you to be alive Mm -hmm. so it tries to make sure that you don't do the dumb thing so you don't die but that causes additional unnecessary suffering So as opposed to just feeling the pain and acknowledging, hey, my knee hurts, I am creating additional mental suffering that is actually far greater than my physical suffering. Mindfulness, on the other hand, teaches us a way of letting go of the pain or just letting the pain be experienced without the mental chatter to follow. So to feel the pain without suffering. We are Letting go of suffering that doesn't benefit us. It doesn't actually benefit me to say, why am I so dumb? Why am I such a klutz? Because falling won't is not likely to kill me. Right. It is okay to say, hey, I should be paying better attention when I'm walking my dog and let it go. hmm An important piece of mindfulness is being able to be present in the moment. A, because it's going to make me less likely to jump at the stick in the first place. B, if I fall on said stick, I can just feel that pain without the amount of suffering I'm adding to it. And in addition, I can do discernment if my mental chatter comes in play. Siegel says, a form of disidentification from the activity of the mind. Realizing that that mental chatter is not the totality of who I am. I am not a bad person.
1: I just fell. Yeah, you're not a klutz. That all sounds great, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Let's make it happen right now. <laughs> I'm ready to turn off that voice forever. So the question of why and how actually gets very complicated very quickly
0: because we're literally going into the mind and the brain. And why we have the mind and the brain is one of science's great unanswered questions.
1: It is. Wow. We are
0: diving into this parallel. Absolutely. There are some Here major... Huge science-answered questions that why the Big Bang theory happened. What is the grand unified theory that integrates quantum mechanics and general relativity? Yes. And why, in this one organ in our body, do we additionally have the mind, right? Yeah. Our stomach doesn't have this. Yeah. Our kidneys don't have this. Why does the brain have the mind? Yeah. It is very easy a lot of times to say, oh, the mind is the brain making sense of itself. The problem with that idea is that it's simplifying it. It's saying that the brain creates the mind. In which case, we would say that the brain would just impact the mind. And we do know that happens, right? right? Our episode five, Neuroscience of Racism, was a great example of that. Mm, Fair. But the mind can also affect the brain. What we do with the mind, we can see the difference on a brain scan. So really, they are in a very dualistic relationship.
1: Which in turn makes it even more complicated.
0: It does. And also powerful. Yeah. A direct quote, the process that regulates the flow of energy and information, our definition of the mind, can directly stimulate brain firing and ultimately change the structure connections within the brain. That's really cool. So this is when I'm like super excited about Neuroplasticity, you could be a bat, right? Uh huh. This is that. This is our ability to rewire the brain. Wow. Because we have the mind. And if we focus the power of the mind, we can have control over the brain. This is mindfulness. So, one of the ways that we know this exists is a study by Lazar, Kerr, Wasserman, Gray, Grave, and Treadway, who showed the practice of mindfulness increased the thickness in multiple parts of the brain specifically the middle prefrontal cortex and around the insula, I will get to where those parts are, on the right side of the brain. And it's in direct correlation to the amount of time spent practicing mindfulness directly correlates to the amount of thickness in these two parts of the brain. So the longer you practice mindfulness, the thicker these parts of the brain were. We can measure direct correlation. Cool?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So you might be asking, like, why would we have that? Like, why is that a thing? So not only we're talking about why do we have the mind and why do we have the brain, but why would we have thickness or want thickness around this area? In a perfect world, we actually all have this. We all have this area specifically thickened because in a perfect world, we all have secure attachment. In a perfect world, we're raised in a situation where we felt held, understood, present with regulatory partners. People who could be with us as children to let us know that things were safe, that they could be our touchstone so we could go out and explore the world, who could resonate with us, who could help us feel attuned and felt and understood. And when we have that, when we have that kind of stability in a regulatory partner, when we have stability in relationships with somebody who's completely present, it teaches us how to connect, how to be present with ourselves, how to regulate our emotions. This is literally the same area that will thicken in secure attachment. The exact same area that middle prefrontal cortex and the area around the insula is thickened in secure attachment relationships as it is with mindfulness.
1: Wow. Is that the same area where we talked about? In uh, last episode, if you were able to catch it, we mentioned this hub in your brain That is the same place as where all of the emotions hang out in Inside Out. Absolutely. Is that affected? It's exactly the same area. Yep. That is our hub. (gasps) Our hub gets more powerful. Holy smokes.
0: And that would make sense because as we discussed in the second and third episode, we have to be a social species, right? We are wired to connect. Yes. So if we are wired to connect, we need to be wired to figure out how to connect your brain spends a ton of time and a ton of resources on how to connect with others what others are doing what their feelings and intentions and actions are we have all of those so we can be the species that we are which is a species that survives in groups yes otherwise we're prey to things that are bigger stronger and faster than us right right mindfulness is taking those same resources and turning them inward it is securely attaching to oneself So what's this look like on a neuroscience level? Oh, yeah. One small disclaimer, the amount of research on this is growing vastly. That is true for a lot of the things that we do, because the amount of things that we know about in the brain from even when I started studying like a little more than a decade ago has vastly changed. But in this particular case, we don't have a lot of longitudinal studies. So I just want to give that disclaimer. Okay. But let's talk about what we do know. When we historically have thought about the brain, we think a lot about genes. DNA, right? Neurons. Yes. (laughs) But prior to experience, prior to birth, all we are is moldable clay. Who we are, how we develop, even how our brain develops, is reliant on experiences. When we have an experience, there is a firing of neurons in response to that stimulus, so experience happens, neurons activate. They connect to another, blood vessels expand, and it releases either an activating or an inhibiting neurotransmitter at the synapse where they're communicating, right? So I, from my house, I'm going to yell down the street to you at your house, and I'm going to say, everything's cool here, or my house is on fire. Okay. And that lets you know, I need to do nothing, or I need to... Bring a lot of water over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> Call the fire department. <laughs> Absolutely, the receiving neuron will do that. It will either fire or not fire based on what that stimulation or inhibition is. Good, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So Siegel will say there are a hundred billion neurons on average that are linked to each other via ten thousand synaptic connections. Okay, on average, which are created by genes but sculpted by experiences. To quote. Nature needs nurture. Neurons fire when we have experiences. These experiences cause us to grow new connections. Mm -hmm. So when we've talked so much about neuroplasticity, you could be a bat, right? Mm -hmm. Your brain is consistently changeable. This is because connections change in response to stimulus. That's why that happens. Wow. Because that's how our brain consistently grows and builds and develops on itself, right? Right. So experience causes a neural firing. In some situations, this will promote the activation of genes, which leads them to produce proteins that enable new synapses to form and old ones to be strengthened. Experiences equals neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons. This happens at any age.
1: Most of that was a direct quote. Wow. So that was sort of, if your neighbors are in good communication, like one house to another has good communication, then you can go out and talk to a new neighbor and make new connections and just ultimately grow and become a bigger, better, smarter human. Absolutely. You expand your neighborhood. Yes. Yes. So yeah, expanding on what you know, what you can do. Gotcha. I'm connecting the metaphor. I love this. Mindfulness awareness is something that fosters neuroplasticity because
0: it's focused attention on brain activation. It is us purposely thinking, I'm going to go talk to that neighbor. And I'm purposely building a relationship there. As opposed to, oh, I just happen to have a relationship with my neighbors.
1: Wow. When we
0: think about the brain on the neuroscience level, we've talked a lot about your cortex, right? It's the largest part of your brain, okay? Mm -hmm. So we're going to dig a little deeper into what that is. This is gray and white matter. Gray is neurons. White is cells. So gray is processing. White is communication. This is done in a series of layers. And inside these layers are columns. And those columns help process information across different parts of your brain. It's like brain cell reception. It expands my network.
1: Wow, yeah, it's literally a tower.
0: Yes. So I'm not just yelling down the street, I'm yelling three towns over. And it's what creates the complexity of who we are. It starts to create our identity outside of just yelling down the street to a whole country, a whole planet. So we're gonna go back also to episode one, which we're kind of referencing a lot here, (laughs) and go back to our hand model of the brain. So as a reminder, take your thumb, Attach it to your palm, basically, and flip your four fingers over it, okay? Okay. So we've kind of talked about this wrist part slash the bottom of your hand is your brain stem. Mm -hmm. If you flip your fingers up, all of that stuff inside is your midbrain. And all of your fingers, the nubbly-bubbly bits, are your prefrontal cortex, the top part of your brain. Okay. Okay. So the back of your cortex, from your second knuckle backwards carries out perceptions of the outside world, so it is your sense of the world. The front of your brain carries out the motor attention and thought. So from your second knuckle to your last knuckle is a region where the first zone carries out motor action, the next zone forward mediates motor planning. So this area allows us to take in what others are doing and make sense of it,
1: and also create those states inside ourselves really about how we process things wow this is literally us connecting with the world interpreting other humans and using those interpretations to determine things about ourselves absolutely wow so the very front of
0: this your fingernails is your prefrontal cortex this is the part that makes humans humans this is the part that we have that other mammals don't and that separates us it is a lot of the things that you think make up yourself is this front area. So the side area, still using our fist, uh, this is more of your pointer finger, mm-hmm. from about second knuckle to fingernail, is your dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. Mm. We talked about that one last episode. We very much did. What the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex is, as well as a lot of other things, what Siegel identified as, is kind of the chalkboard of the mind because it's focusing our attention keeping track of things. Mm. It is also one of the key places of self-regulation, which makes sense because what your attention on is usually, am I okay? Am I in a state of fight, flight, or freeze? Mm. Gotcha. Your middle and ring finger, from nails to knuckles, is a very important area that we also talked about last time. This is your orbital frontal cortex, your anterior singular cortex, your ventral lateral and medial prefrontal cortex. That hub.
1: Yeah.
0: Where... All of the emotions sit in Inside Out has got to be there, right? Yep. This area receives information from the entire brain impacted by the insula. Mentioned we'd get back to the insula. Right. The insula is an information highway. So kind of like brain Wi-Fi. It is gathering information from everywhere and making sense of it. So it can take in information about our body, our emotions, our experiences. It can create a representation of somebody else's body, emotion, experiences. It is how we do social communication. This is a really important area because if you lift those fingers up and put them back down, you may notice that your middle and ring finger right at about the tip are touching everything else essentially in your hand. They're touching your fingers because they're literally a part of your fingers. So they're a part of your prefrontal cortex, you're a part of your cortex in general. They're also touching all of that midbrain. And in fact, they're actually so far down that they're also able to touch your brain stem. Whoa. So this is what we call neural integration. It is the ability for the brain to talk to itself. Right. It's communication, coordination, centralization, It is how our brain isn't in tune with itself.
1: Wow. It is how our midbrain middle child takes the physical interpretation from the brainstem and then starts to panic. And then that is how our youngest child, the prefrontal cortex, can then determine what the midbrain actually meant by panicking and decipher what's actually going on. And In make f- decisions. In fact, this
0: area is just kind of a big family meeting.
1: I love that visual. <laughs> <gasps> yes. Yeah.
0: Get everybody a- gathered together. And the more integration you have, the larger the family you have. Ooh. And research is showing that mindful awareness can create this integration. It creates attunement, it's boosted Wi Fi. Wow. So. In mindfulness, focus attention causes neurons to fire or rewire. When we do mindfulness, we're able to focus that particular area, thicken that particular area, which means our brain is more integrated, our Wi-Fi gets super boosted. And why would you want super boosted Wi-Fi? For any of us in the last couple of years who've been on an electronic conference call, sometimes you can't hear the one person who might have really good ideas because their Wi-Fi signal is too weak. Neural integration means I can hear everybody and we can have a full conversation and come to it as a group plan. That's what we're talking about happening in the brain, which has incredible importance because I think we've all been in meetings where only one person is speaking and it doesn't necessarily lead to the best conclusions all the time brain. because lots of different people have great ideas. That's your brain. All of your brain has different pieces. The areas where we see the greatest amount of problems is when only one area is speaking. This relates us right back to the neuroscience of racism. The problem isn't in your bones, it's in your brain. Mm -hmm. Specifically, your prefrontal cortex can very much be like, I'm not a racist. But if your midbrain is the only one that's speaking and your midbrain is and you don't have neural integration, it is much harder to do that. It is much harder to behave in a way that is consistent with how you think of yourself. Because only one part is speaking up.
1: I am I am over here just casually panicking in the best way possible. This is by far the coolest thing that we have covered so far on this podcast, dare I say it. I am so in love with everything that you have shared so far. And it is... Blowing my brain, literally the fact that we have this integrated highway that connects everything. And the more we use that highway, the more we can thicken that pathway, the more connections we can make between ourselves yep. from other people, the better humans we could be, the better lives we can live. Absolutely. This, it sounds like a magical piece to the puzzle. It is. It is.
0: And it's one of those things that's easy in its magicalness, if you will, because it actually happens all the time. Our brain is set up for experience equals stimulation equals neurons fire equals neurons build, grow, create new synapses. This is what we do. This is just the purposefulness of it. Mm. Siegel calls this snagging and he loves acronyms. So it is stimulating neural activation and growth. That's what we're purposefully doing when we do mindfulness is we're stimulating neural activation and growth. We're purposely causing neurons to fire in our mid prefrontal regions and promoting integration. We are boosting our Wi-Fi signal, which means we have better reach, which means we can connect to more parts of our brain so more parts of our brain can communicate all at the same time. This is when we are at our best. Yeah. So why is neural integration so important? So remember from episode four, one of the best lessons we learned there is we assess and then we make sense. Mm -hmm. So neural integration means we can monitor and influence that firing pattern. We can have more say in our assessment as well as our making sense of it. If we are a self-driving car, neural integration with our boosted Wi-Fi helps our car realize that it needs to use the brakes a lot sooner. Or that it needs to use acceleration. It gives more information as to whether that's a good idea or not. So this is specifically helping our automatic nervous system. So Siegel will say brakes and acceleration functions are coordinated. So specifically within our sympathetic or active or parasympathetic rest and digest system. This is actually how we get body regulation. A lot of the times our sympathetic or parasympathetic happens without our control all right. the time. Yeah. This is the ability to have more control over that because of our boosted Wi-Fi signal. So it also increases integration, neural integration, right, between the left and right hemispheres of the brain. From episode one, we discussed this as hemispheres, right? Like our globe, yes, has two hemispheres. We have a left side and a right side. They have some different functions. As we also mentioned in episode one, if you remember, part of your brain is older than other parts of your brain. Mm -hmm. Your brain kind of grows on itself like a balloon. It's older both on an evolutionary standpoint as well as your own growth.
1: I think we also talked about that in episode six when we were discussing how we get our emotional brains first. We do. And then we get our logical brain. Hence terrible twos. Yes. Especially
0: since the side that we're missing until about three is language. Yes. Yes. Unless you speak sign language because that's located more in your right side. Yes. yes absolutely.
1: They feel all the
0: feelings. They know they're feeling feelings. but and they, they don't can't... have a way to communicate them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yes, so you build brainstem and then you build midbrain and then you build the right side of your brain. And your right side's kind of all you got when until you're about three. Okay. About two is when it starts to kick on. Three is when it goes more fully online. Also at that time, now that we're starting to get a left lobe, we're then going to need the bridge between the left and the right lobe. Your corpus callosum. Yes. So that also starts developing around age three and continues developing until your mid to late twenties. Right. One of the last things that grows in. So your right lobe operates differently than your left lobe. As we discussed, right, your cortex is this layers of gray matter and white matter with columns in between. Mm -hmm. Those columns appear to operate differently. So your right lobe, there are more integrated columns meaning that it communicates with areas better, which helps us have an understanding of context in the bigger picture. Your left lobe, which is more detail-oriented, is more cortical columns that appear to work more on their own. This helps us zoom in and focus. So your left is also always easy to remember because it likes things that start with the letter L. Linguistics, linear, logic, liberal thinking.
1: Mm.
0: You're right, is nonverbal, holistic, visio and then a whole bunch of other things like autobiographical memory, integrated map of the whole body, raw, spontaneous motion, intense, empathetic, nonverbal response, stress modulation, etc. Gotcha. Mindfulness helps us connect the two sides. Neural integration. One of Siegel's other books, The Whole Brain Child, will talk about sometimes when you're spending time with a child and you can sort of see when their right brain floods and they are all emotion. A lot of this is happening because their corpus callosum isn't built yet. So your right brain will take control. A lot of the emotions that you feel, a lot more tense emotions, happen a little bit more on your right side, whereas your left can be a little bit more logical. Neural integration helps to balance those. It's totally valid and important to feel all the things that you're feeling. But sometimes it's very helpful to remember the logic that is also in place. So working with kids, for example, kids who are feeling like depressed or anxious, they would talk a lot in always or never statements. I always have homework. Yeah. yeah. On your right side, it feels like you have so much homework, you never get to have fun. Mm -hmm. Your left side helps you remember the logic of that. Do you always have homework 24-7, 365 days a year? No, you don't. It does feel like that sometimes, and that's okay, and that's valid. But when we have neural integration, we can use that to balance. I have a lot of homework, and it feels exhausting, and sometimes it's terrible, and I don't like it, but I don't always have homework,
1: and there are times when I can get out of it. That makes so much sense, too, because with the emotional side being more developed in a way, it is easier to feel those feelings first and have those yes. feelings sort of overpower everything because it's stronger. It's a stronger side. It's been there longer. It's easier to connect with. Yes. But then it's the logic that steps in and explains a little bit more so you can comprehend oh okay yeah that was a lot of feeling I was feeling so much overwhelmed because there was so much homework and I'm just so caught up in those feelings but really they weren't happening all the time yes and it helps
0: us to balance that of we can carry that emotion a little easier yeah definitely which is why doing that kind of work is a treatment for anxiety and depression it's it's a part of that to help us build that neural integration, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about this in children, but it happens in adults too. Anytime you've gotten in this space where you're using an always or a never statement, when things feel always good or always bad, when they feel overwhelmingly unbalanced, that can be our right side. Or think of the number of times when another adult may have felt this and you may be in an argument with somebody.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And they are giving you A lot of emotion that doesn't sound like it has any logic you might be responding trying to be like but logically that doesn't make sense and it's because you're living in your left lobe and they are living in their right lobe and you are just absolutely missing each other wow neural integration helps us to have both of those and to hold both of those both for ourselves and for others Mm -hmm. mindfulness also not only helps to neurally integrate our whole brain as well as the two sides but it also helps our interior singular cortex. And Siegel will call this the CEO of our brain because what it does is it allocates attention resources. It helps determine what we focus on and how that focus activates us. Mindfulness will also help increase the amount of alpha and theta waves that we can see on an EEG, which often come with a sense of stability and calming. All of this makes sense if what we're focusing on We're able to hold with more presence. It means that is easier to hold. A lot of the times when you see, when we think of somebody like the Dalai Lama who does a lot of mindfulness practice, those type of people seem so grounded. Like they're so rooted that nothing could tip them over. Yeah. They seem to be able to just weather things more. Yes. Because they're not being so pulled left or so pulled right. Right. There are good and bad things that happen to us, absolutely, but being able to hold that there are good and bad things is what helps ground us, and that often comes with more of a sense of stability and calming. So there is a connection between attention regulation and executive functioning in this middle prefrontal area. This is a direct quote. Specifically, the anterior singular cortex is involved in reduction of negative emotions, we see this. If there's damage to that anterior singular cortex, we will see increased changes in negative behaviors. We'll see increased aggression, kind of a more emotional blunting, less motivation, higher amounts of impatientness, and honestly inappropriate behaviors. So if we can instead grow the anterior singular cortex, we see the opposite side of that. So integration helps us to support that ACC helping us to be flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, stable, coordinated, balanced, grounded, calm. So integration partially also does this because it expands outside of ourselves. This is the other thing that gives us that kind of calm stability. Neural integration helps us connect more to each other. Again, this makes sense. We are a social species. Mm -hmm. The more people I have watching my back, the safer i feel. So if we connect to the bigger and bigger and bigger whole, this helps us feel like we have a lot of touchstones for exploration. So we're kind of already getting into the why are we talking about it.
1: Yeah, Honestly, <laughs> really hearing it i think it was a beautiful transition though just because we not only got to hear about where these things are happening in our brains and like what part of our brains really control this connection that we have between like, mind and brain, but also brain and body, and just understanding how that all flows together. So I think we've covered so much great stuff that maybe this is where we should end this episode, so that in the next episode, we have enough time to really dive into the details behind why it is mindfulness is so important to us as humans in the connections that we make with one another, but also... Maybe dive into specific strategies that people can use and incorporate into their daily lives. Absolutely. I think this is a topic,
0: unlike some of the other ones that we've covered, that is uh, less cerebral and actually far more practical Where we can really demonstrate the what do we do about it is to actually learn mindfulness, to learn how to purposely create this neuroplasticity, to learn how to purposely create thickening in these specific areas between your left and right lobe within your prefrontal cortex and your corpus callosum, like the places we're really looking for those benefits. In fact, I think it'd be really great to include maybe a guest on that particular episode who Is absolutely new to this so we can really do a hands-on approach to what does this look like what does this feel like and try to, to bring in the listeners voices thoughts and ideas as we're going through the practical application of what do we do about it
1: I agree I think that could be really special awesome well we look forward to covering that with you next episode thanks for listening to the brain blown podcast to learn more Head over to brainblownpodcast.com for script notes, visuals, and any resources we mentioned. And hey, if you have any topics you're curious about or want to learn more on, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email or reach out via social media to get started. You can find our information and more at www.brainblownpodcast.com.